podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, part of the 10-12 Network I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today on this Monday. We got a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about on the show today. And thank God I don't have to do it by myself because, folks, kids don't understand daylight saving time. So while you may want to get an extra hour of sleep, they don't understand that concept. Let's just have been awake (laughs) since 545 current time, which, yeah. Anyways, joining me as she always does, Jamie Steyer Johnson, Miss JSJ herself. Yeah, my neighbor's dogs don't understand daylight saving time either. So I'm right there with you, obviously. Oof. <laughs> <sighs> I don't. I don't want to hear it. You and neighbor's <laughs> dogs. Uh, Andy is out this week. He is a little under the weather. So joining us in his stead, one half of the Funky Frog Podcast, Colin Post, back on the ten twelve with us. Welcome, sir. Yeah, appreciate it, Philip. Great to be back. Always good to have Colin here. He's like our one of our go-to, like someone's out, it's the last minute, and we just we just pull him in. It's always good to have you here, man. Heck yeah. Um, yeah see it. You know what? Since you are our fill-in guest and was kind enough to, to, to hop in with us today, I think that we should just start off right there. Let's let us let you enjoy here on the podcast what was a, a fantastic Saturday for TCU getting a win I, I, I did not expect, and I don't think most people actually expected. Uh, except for uh, our good friend uh, Parker Fleming, Stats Awards, CFP Graphs, which kind of had a pretty close game projection. Yeah, sort uh, TCU, of. Yeah, TCU getting the 30-28 to 28 win uh, that was not as close as the final score indicated. Colin, dive right in. What, what was your biggest takeaway from, from this game on Saturday? Yeah, I, I had a feeling that TCU would come out at least amped in this game. You know, you think about last week, it, one of the weirdest and – most important weeks in the history of TCU athletics, maybe the most important, just seeing a guy like Patterson leave. I I didn't know how the team was going to respond, but I had a feeling that it was going to be some level of, we really don't like Baylor. We're really upset that a lot of people are counting us out. We're going to come out new guy at quarterback and and just show off. But I, I really thought that this game to win for TCU was going to have to be way more about forcing Baylor into problems than finding successes on their own. And so my even my pregame predictions about the game had TCU winning, but it was more focused on turnovers, more focused on getting to Bohannon. Um, and, they, you know, they did force the two turnovers and got to Bohannon once. But, man, the real theme of this game, I think, was guys leveling up and playing the levels we had never seen. I, I think the obvious one, of course, anybody who's around the Big 12 knows what Chandler Morris did yesterday. TCU had 562 yards of offense, and this guy had 538 of them in his first ever start at uh, the college level. Just an unbelievable performance from a guy who had never been on the stage against the number 12 team in the country. Um, and then to and then on that final play, seeing a guy like Shadrach Banks, who once again, if you're around college football, you know that his journey of recruitment and then transferred to TCU from AM was pretty much just very tumultic, wild, a lot of people talking bad things about him. 
for him to make a game-winning interception like he did yesterday and for his teammates to talk about how hard he's worked since he's been at TCU, what a great teammate he is. It was really, really impressive. And, and I think Coach Kill kind of highlighted this best after the game. He had never really seen a team level up that much in November. You, you know what to expect from a team once you've gotten to November. Uh, they typically don't surprise you that way, and TCU really did especially on the defensive side of the ball. And um, some would argue that was for Coach P. Uh, I think there was some of that, but I think in general it was just this extreme vibe. This game was weird, so many weird things going on, and a lot of TCU players and coaches, I think, just said, heck, we're going to give this our all and see what happens, and, and a lot of things went TCU's way yesterday. Let me ask this, and I don't want to read into this kind of stuff too much. Obviously, um, you made a change at quarterback. Max Duggan's been banged up. He's had the, the hurt foot. That has affected his play. You didn't have Zach Evans, who, like, I don't, I'm not, he's, you know, he missed another game. He's going to miss another game every game the rest of the season, let's just be honest. Um, coming in, I kind of have to wonder, Chandler Morris doesn't play the same way as Duggan does. This is not the game plan I thought they would have. I mean, they threw the ball 42 times, ran it 35, and they, the running game was okay. It almost just kind of felt like Baylor did not have a game plan for Chandler Morris and could never adjust to him. And that was that was kind of the game. Meanwhile, TCU understood the weakness of Baylor's defense, which is especially that's its DBs at secondary, and exploited that tremendously Quentin Johnson looking like again if not the one of the best receivers in the Big 12 DCU came in with a very concise game plan it worked perfectly and I say all of this to come to the point of did Gary I don't know that Gary being gone was so much a motivating factor as did the drama around Gary leave with him and that kind of helped streamline TCU to be better focused this week than they have been for the past few? Yeah, I, I think that's the question of the day. And and there is a certain point where I don't know if anyone has a certain answer on that. But I think there are two sides to that that I think we do know for sure. One, I know there were players on TCU's roster that were playing for Coach P. Trey Tomlinson being one of them, he was very vocal about that on Twitter he said, this is for Coach P. Let's go make a bowl game. He consistently said that all week. He said that to the camera post game. He said that to the media post game, and he said that on Twitter post game. So I know that there were a group of players like that. At the same time, I was told that Gary had a lot of frustration with this TCU roster because there were several guys on it that didn't respect him and his role as their leader and mentor. Um, they didn't want to line up necessarily with exactly what he had to say. And that was part of the reason, um, and Drew Davidson at the Star-Telegram did a good job of highlighting this in a piece he just wrote. That's a big reason why I think the transition was a little easier for Gary is he was pretty exhausted after this year. So I think undoubtedly there were some guys who weren't playing for Gary yesterday. Um, and, and so on the flip side of that, I think there were some guys and, and maybe even a little bit in the coaching staff when it comes to Doug Meacham who were kind of playing with that less of a pressure or, or, or a, a, the, you know, the weight on their back. And that led to just a little bit of ease. You know, Melissa on the funky frog today was saying a really good point. It felt like Doug Meacham could call what he wanted without having the 25 to 40 year, you know, head coach, just legend behind him, judging him. And I, 
I think we saw that a little bit in the way that the game plan for Chandler Morris was called. Pair that with a couple plays. You think about Chandler getting out of that late pressure, hitting Quincy Brown on a big third down conversion. You think about the one-handed catch to Quentin Johnson and double coverage. That could have gone either way, and I think kind of hyped down to adrenaline and uh, maybe a little bit of luck. And so I think just to result, it all results down to there was a flurry of emotions on the TCU sideline, some good, some for Coach P, some for themselves. And it, it all just really fell TCU's way in this. We're, they were amped um, and, and went out there and, and all really played their best football. Um, and so it's hard to say whether that was because of Coach P or, or, or anti-Coach P, but I think, I think just the weirdness of the situation is what makes this game such an anomaly on TCU's season this year. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get to really watch most of it. I was in Ames um, taking a friend on a visit, but um, it definitely seems like you can't deny, like there's a lot of changes and exactly like you were saying, Colin, like whether it's good, whether it's bad, it's different for each different person out there. But obviously the net was positive when you get a win like that. And I mean, the biggest thing too, that jumps out to me when you're talking about it is the great point that you've got people who are in their jobs, have been there. You still have at least that consistency of the coaches calling plays, but it does get a little bit intimidating when you have someone who has been around so long, you feel like you're second guessing yourself a little bit. And I mean, I obviously don't know what his managing style is, but if you don't make a concerted effort to foster like trust with your coaches, with your staff and foster the ability that they can make changes, things can just get really stagnant. And so that potential was probably always there. I mean, everything kind of fell the right way this weekend, but it just shows that, I mean, it, it can take small changes, big changes, whatever it is. I mean, it, it ended up definitely in their favor. And I think that it's just really interesting to see it that drastic of a change from one week to the next. Mm-hmm. And not I just one week just, from the next, but, oh, sorry, not just one week from just, the next, but I mean, really like the season into one week. Right. Uh, and, and just quick, I think just to kind of give examples to why I think this is pretty evident is, is two different plays. Uh, one, they, they, they ran a reverse where Tay Barber ended up throwing a pass to Chandler Morris um, and he caught it and I think he got like seven yards. And they ran a similar play last week in the red against Kansas State and Tay, it, was, it was Tay Barber again and he missed Dominic Denunzio in the end zone. He was wide open. And, um, and then another play I think was Chandler Morris threw a pass that was tipped. It should have been intercept, intercepted. And uh, Meacham continued to call pass plays for him, and he ended up getting to that 461 mark. And I think what's stark about both of those plays is under the Gary Patterson era, since Kenny Hill was gone and you no longer have this dynamic talent at quarterback, we have seen the TCU offense watch their quarterback make mistakes or watch an offensive mistake and then go away from that concept completely. And, and that's something Parker uh, Fleming stats of war on Twitter actually points out a lot is that it's so frustrating that even good ideas that TCU offense has, they go away from them as soon as the players make even minimal mistakes. And even against Duquesne, we saw Duggan throw an interception and they didn't let him throw again for the rest of the game. 
against an, a, an FCS opponent. And so yesterday we saw the opposite of that and TCU flourished because of it. And so am I coming on this podcast to say that TCU is just such a better program without Gary Patterson, et cetera? No, but in that game yesterday, it was evidence that there was no monkey on, on Doug Meacham, or Jerry Kill, et cetera, whoever was running the offenses back. And, and yesterday, at least, it, it absolutely benefited the Frogs. Uh, speaking of monkeys, Texas oh, and Iowa State. Iowa State 30, Texas 7. Uh, Texas, once again, blowing a, a halftime lead. This one, a lot smaller than it has been, just 7-3. to A uh, couple takeaways. One, we, we've talked about how good Iowa State's defense has been all season. I think the real point is that Iowa State's defense in the second half of games is so good. Um Go back and look at even the losses, like the second half defensive performances from Iowa State. They're good in the first half. They are locked down in the second half. They've been fantastic. For Texas, oh, hmm. Um, it's their first four-game losing streak since 2010. Uh, that's that's not good. This is really not good because here's the deal with Texas. And, and look, I, I am in no way am I trying to like defend Texas or say no it's it's fine or make excuses this is a combination of Tom Herman did a bad job of developing players so you got a whole lot of guys and a lot of everyone every time someone brings up all the four and five stars they bring in the recruiting stuff folks it is an element of success there's also development. Tom Herman's staffs could not develop those players. They would come in as talented guys, as freshmen, and they never got any better than they were as freshmen. That was the problem at Texas. And so now you have Sark come in. Things are not going well. They have obvious issues. I don't understand why they're so bad in the second half. I don't, we talked about this last week. I don't know if it's conditioning. I don't know if it's play calling. I don't know if it's an inability to adjust. This team is bad in the second half. They've got issue at court, major issue at quarterback because now they went back to Hudson Card. That didn't go very well. Uh what do you do next week? This is a like this season could nosedive for Texas very quickly. You're on a four game losing streak. The last three games of the season are not just like you get Kansas this week. Yes, Andy, we know you think Kansas could beat Texas this week. We'll we'll see. Um, they've got Kansas, West Virginia, and Kansas State. Maybe they may they turn things around. I don't know. Kind of like we did with Kansas State. I mean. Texas's four-game losing streak is to the four best teams in the conference, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State. Just like we did with Kansas State when they went on the three-game losing streak by losing to the three really good teams in the conference. Like Part of this is like, yeah, Texas is bad because they keep blowing leads. Part of it's they're just not as good as the, the bet. They're just not one of the four best teams in the Big 12 this year. So I, I, I kind of come away with this from like, okay, I know we're supposed to talk about Texas. Can we, I don't like it's everyone's saying all these things. It's fun to poke at them. Can we just celebrate for Iowa state? Who's now won three straight over Texas. And if Texas leaves the big 12 and we think they will, that means that they will leave and Iowa they will never be able to come back to Ames and win another game. And Iowa state will now have a two straight game winning streak in Ames over Texas. That will probably never go away. James, was, go ahead. It was good. Well, and the other really interesting stat I saw immediately, that's the fewest yards of offense Texas has had in a game since we shut them out in 2015. And it just, it felt good. Like it was, it was really fun. I was there. Everyone was jacked up. I got a tip in the morning um, that we were coming 
went out in the all black unis. So that was kind of dope. Um, but like to pull that little switcheroo for the night game, there was there was whispers floating around out there on Twitter and then they did it. And so that was super cool. They had surprise fireworks before and after the game. That was cool. Like they were just ready. And, and the energy was in the second half really impressive because the first half it felt like Iowa State was playing so well and just couldn't get into the end zone to save their lives. And it would have been really easy to get kind of discouraged there, but instead they went into halftime, they made some adjustments, they were ready to come out swinging, and in the second half just played really loose. I mean, when you get that first touchdown, you finally take that lead back, and then you come out on that next drive, and you bust out a trick play for 50 yards from freaking Xavier Hutchinson. Like, that's that's so cool. Like, that was so huge just to get that momentum to say, yeah, you know, we scored once, but this is our game now. Like this is over. This is done. And Texas basically rolled over and said, yeah, you're right. And from then on, it was just a big party. Yeah. I, I have so many things to say about Texas, but it, I, I can't lie that after the way that they started season Arkansas aside, it felt like Sark had come across that point of that I said on this podcast this spring, actually, that Texas football needed some sort of um, just mindset change to actually flip a switch, both football and basketball. And we're about to see if basketball does that. But it was a culture thing. And it really felt like at the beginning of the season that Sark, especially after the way they bounced back from that loss to Arkansas, um, just he, he had guys behind him and, and then they were going to roll with Casey. And even with the close loss, he was like, man, we saw some great things from Casey Thompson, but uh, two big things stand out to me on this Texas rosters. One for such a high profile pro- profile athletic program who has all the money in the world, their conditioning is horrendous. Um, it's something TCU has also struggled with this year. But, it, you know, the difference in, in program and, and money in the program and recruiting there, I felt like should be different on the Texas level. And it's not. Um, and then, two, their their reliance on B. John Robinson to a fault um, and, and failure to develop wideouts within their program is crazy to me. A, a team that is oftentimes in the top 10 of recruiting classes nationally. Um, can't get a reliable wide receiver. And I understand Jordan Whittington is out, but Xavier Worthy is one of the top young talents in the entire conference. He has two receptions in a game that you get blown out in in names. Like that is crazy to me, especially after what he did to put Texas on his back in the Red River River rivalry. Goodness, Um, that's just crazy to me. And so I, I don't understand what the thought is there for Sark. But yeah, it, this just isn't it for Texas. And, and I think somebody asked in the comments before this podcast, is, is he on the hot seat? Um, sadly, with the way that program is, like, yeah, it, they, they need to finish this season strong for, for Texas to feel good about Sark going forward. And uh, I, I, I really thought that this was it for Texas, and, and it, it isn't, at least for now. I, I don't know that he's really on the hot seat. Like, it's, it's year one. And uh, no, it's Texas though. I understand that they also just ponied up, and I know how much money they have. I also know how much we also saw how much money they spent to get rid of Tom Herman and his entire coaching staff. Like, 
Sark's going to get some time. And you can't keep turning this job over, over, and over, and over again. Because that's not, like, it's not conducive. And honestly, the other problem is still, like, who you, who's who you going to hire? Like, I know you in Texas you can get anybody, right? Like, that's the whole, you can get anybody. No. Like, he'll get three years. It's year one. We'll see what happens next year. Like, I, whatever happens this year, maybe he turns it around, they win the last three, they finish seven and five. Cool. Um, we'll see what happens in year two. And that's the point I am with Texas. Like, we'll see what happens in year two. That's 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 just that's just where we are. Like I don't know another way to look at it than like I, I want to do some math. I'm gonna do it live on the air because I'm I'm bad with math. So I was trying to see like the difference between first half and second half in this little four game skid. So let's see, math seven, seven and eight is fifteen. If it's not, tell me because I'm bad at math. I was an art major for a reason. Uh, fifteen nineteen plus twenty six, three four five six. So. 76 very nice that's 43 so in the first half of the last four games they've outscored their opponents 76 to 43 first half right second half oh my gosh let's see it can't be right let's see seven eight that's a nine so that's 17 this is great podcasting 17 plus five is what 22 Two, four, six, seven. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, as I said, the first half of games, the last four games, they have outscored their opponents 76 uh, to uh, 43. In the second half of games, they have been outscored 102 to 23. Well, and you you got to remember, too, they got to outscore in the second half against TCU. They just pulled that game out because Bijan ran like 15 minutes or, or 12 of the 15 fourth quarter minutes. So TCU also outscored Texas in the second half. Texas was just lucky that TCU's offense was was pretty awful late in that game well, as well. And, I mean, Texas Tech game, they, they weren't outscored, but Texas Tech put up more points in the second half than they did in the first. Uh, let's see. Rice doesn't count. That Arkansas game, like they were losing, but they weren't. It was it was sixteen to nothing, and then it was forty to twenty one at the end of the game. Like they have a conditioning problem in Texas. Like if you're that bad in the second half, your defense is that just like the offense isn't doing the defense any favors. But good grief, you have a conditioning problem. Uh, props to Iowa State. They got their sixth win. They got bowl eligible. So congrats to them. The only team that got bowl eligible this weekend, Iowa State, or sorry, Kansas State, getting their sixth win over Kansas, thirty-five to ten. Don't think we really need to talk about this one, especially since Andy's not here. Sorry, Kansas fans. I don't think you want me to rehash the Sunflower Showdown in which you lost thirty-five to ten. Um, it seemed like it might be a pretty close game early, and then it wasn't. Um, okay. West Virginia fans, I'm going to read some stuff off here so you might like mute it or, or put some earmuffs on because this is a little bit not safe for work. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, <clears throat> Oklahoma State's defense in the last two games has held opponents to two of 27 on third down. That's the second best third down defense in the country, holding teams to 25% success rate. This is the first time, West Virginia specifically, since 1948, 1949, sorry, that Oklahoma State has held consecutive conference opponents without a touchdown. That's Kansas and West Virginia. After allowing 64 yards on West Virginia's opening drive, led to three points, the only three points West Virginia scored. Uh, the Oklahoma State defense held the Mountaineers to negative three total yards on offense the rest of the first half. All other yards that were gained were off penalty. The offense gained negative three yards. Uh, 
Oklahoma State set a Gundy-era record with eight sacks against West Virginia on Saturday. Uh, Oklahoma State allowed 133 yards against West Virginia on Saturday. It's the fewest yards uh, under the Mike Gundy era, and it's the fewest yards allowed in a game by Oklahoma State since 1999. By the way, since the Gundy era, they played Savannah State. Savannah State put up more yards against Oklahoma State than West Virginia did. Goodness. This was a smackdown. Um, I pulled up CFB-graphs. Uh, That's uh, Parker Fleming, a.k.a. at Stats of War on Twitter's site. Um, EPA in this game, expected points added. Oklahoma State was 21.85. West Virginia was negative 18.52. Um, it's not good. I can't remember what I said on Thursday because most of that episode was lost. But I, I remember saying... The West Virginia defense, I believed in its resurgence since the the idle week. And they did a really good job against Oklahoma State. Um, seven of Oklahoma State's 24 points came on a short field after a, a dropped punt by West Virginia. And, and so Oklahoma State was able to punch that in. Like There was a short field. Oklahoma State's average starting field position was 35.7. West Virginia was 22. Like, I think West Virginia's defense did a really, a pretty dang good job against Oklahoma State. Ten drives came away with 24 points. It's just that West Virginia's offense could not do anything. And the offensive line that uh, Dan Orlovsky kept calling the best offensive line in the Big 12 gave up eight sacks. I think the I, – I, I, I'm not doing this to, like, harp on West Virginia – they played well defensively. They played poor offensively. And Oklahoma State's defense played its best game of the season. And it's been a really good season for Oklahoma State's defense. West Virginia's total rushing yards, if you include the sack yards, was 17 yards. If you take away the sack yards, it was 40, 52 on 21 carries. Like, ugh. I... I I honestly feel bad for West Virginia because this just was one of those situations where Oklahoma State's defense came to play. They played lights out. Um, West Virginia was feeling pretty good after the the back-to-back wins and the win over Iowa State. And offensively, it was not good for West Virginia. This Oklahoma State team reminds me of the 2012 Baltimore Ravens. Um, We're talking about a team that averages under 400 yards of offense a game and under 30 points and they are now in the top 10 in the nation and and very conceivably could be undefeated right now this defense is freaking incredible and and spencer sanders continues to do just enough to 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 be good enough offensively to counter that and yeah i i'm i'm honestly a little terrified of what this defense could do to tcu on the road this weekend trying to find yeah they're averaging 28.8 points a game uh, yards is, is low. Uh, to quote, some OSU fans came after Bill Connolly on Twitter, and I'm going to defend Bill Connolly. And I always love when, like, some of kind of come after him, and Bill Connolly responded, like, oh, man, I didn't mean to get everybody coming after you. And it's like, shut up. Yeah, you did. Like, don't don't play the card. Don't go after somebody, and then they respond, and you're like, oh, I didn't. Like, it's the most mamsy-pams. Either, either defend it or realize you just be like, you know what? I was wrong. Sorry, dude. Because uh, he described this as Oklahoma State wins ugly, and that it's a term people are like, <sighs> folks, this is how you win ugly. Okay, it's a game in which you had fewer than three hundred yards, four point five yard per play. You had eight sacks. You put up twenty four points. Like, 
That's not a pretty game. That's not pretty football. Pretty football is what West Wake Forest, North Carolina did on Saturday. You know, just forget defense. Let's just, it's old Big 12 games where Texas Tech and OU are going off for, you know, 130 points. And it was like, this isn't football. Yeah, it's beautiful football. It's offensive masterpieces. Slugfest with eight sacks and a total like under 500 yards. Like, it's, it's ugly football. That's not an insult. Short rushes, negative plays, pun attempts, like that it's not it's not an insult to say it's ugly football. If you're good at winning with ugly football, then props to you. That's what Oklahoma State's doing this year. It's very un Oklahoma State, but they've it's working for them. It is. I it it's incredible. I I'm not yeah. I, I, I can't I'm I'm bought in. I'm sorry it's taken me this long. Like the defense is legit and the offense knows what it needs to do to make sure that the defense is able to operate at peak form. Yeah. I was, I unplugged my headset in the middle of trying to speak, but I was just going to say that it kind of adds insult to injury because I wish that could have been I state, but uh, dang that's, I mean, yeah, Oklahoma state like a hundred percent deserves it. They've, they've had a really, really, really impressive season so far and I will say it's nice to have other teams to talk about like week in and week out besides just like preaching the gospel of Oklahoma and like have other interesting things happening in the conference and have legitimate paths for so many people to be in the title game and I just appreciate having at least that much going on in the conference for sure this this uh oh you almost day game is gonna be awesome no shush 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 no no we don't we uh, there's a simple rule in this show because it's my show and i make the rules um we 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 don't even we don't even like joke about bedlam being like the joke that OU like people make of like, yeah, anything could happen in Bedlam. Oh, you could win by 10. Oh, you could win by 20. Oh, you could win by 50. Like, I I ascribe to that joke because it is legitimate. Um, so we, no, we're not, we're not even gonna, we can, we can have a real, like, let's have a conversation about Bedlam when we get to Bedlam. Until then, I don't want to hear about like, well, we're not doing that. No, I, no, I, I, my heart can't take it. Um, before we move on, I do want to do one quick thing looking through this. Uh, as far as bell eligibility, Oklahoma, obviously nine wins. OSU, uh, Baylor all have the necessary wins. Iowa State and Kansas State, as we mentioned, both got the, their sixth win um, this Saturday. That leaves Kansas is the only team eliminated from bowl eligibility in the Big 12. There's four teams who all still have an opportunity to get to a bowl game. Uh, Texas, of course, is four and five. Texas Tech is five and four. West Virginia is four and five, and TCU is four and five. So Texas, West Virginia, and TCU both need two wins in their last three games. Texas Tech just needs one in their last three. Without going through schedules, because the they all well, it's, I believe they all play Kansas still. Uh, I believe that's pretty much Kansas's uh, three of their games. West Virginia, TCU, not Texas. Tech, okay. uh, yeah. Right, Tech's got the murderers row to end the season of uh of oklahoma state oklahoma and and uh no iowa state oklahoma state and baylor because they already had oklahoma looking at these four teams to each of you i don't think they're they can't they're not all going to go bowling i don't think but 
which teams do you give the most likelihood of actually reaching the six wins necessary? Not like, congrats, you get five and seven and your grades are good, so you get to go because we have to fill a spot. Actually reaching <laughs> six wins, wins and being guaranteed a bowl spot. Oh, that's a tough one. I don't think it's tough. I, Texas will do it. And, and I think TCU actually might do it. I hate to say that being the TCU guy on this podcast, but West Virginia, um, I don't, I don't see them beating Kansas State or Texas. Uh, goodness no. And and then Tech, I mean, just an absolute gauntlet to end the year with Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State. I, I don't think they have the defense to, to to win any of those games this late in the year. And I just see TCU obviously getting the Kansas win, and then out of Oklahoma State this weekend and, and Iowa State to end the year, it feels like with the energy they're playing with that they steal one of those. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't, but I, I would bet them over West Virginia or tech personally. Yeah. My, my conflict comes almost solely on TCU where I, I do think that like the energy they showed was definitely a major, major improvement, but those are a couple of really tough games between Oklahoma State and Iowa State and so I think that Texas is definitely the easy answer um but beyond that I don't know about the mathematical schedule if any of the other ones have to but otherwise I wouldn't have another one that I could point to and say that I have really a good feeling about it if I'm being honest okay I would say this. I feel pretty good about Texas. Here's the deal. The the three easiest ones. I know Texas Tech is at five wins and just needs one more win. But TCU, West Virginia, Texas all have Kansas on the schedule. So I I would give all of them a fifth win. Sorry, Kansas. I just, I I am. Um, So then you kind of have to, I don't want to print. I don't want to break down all the different schedules. They've all kind of got to beat somebody. I think Texas probably does. I don't think Texas Tech does, but I don't. I, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I, maybe they do. I, I'm still waiting for OSU to drop the game they shouldn't drop, and maybe it's a Texas Tech. Who knows? I I disagree, Colin. I lean more towards West Virginia than TCU because TCU has to play at Oklahoma State and at Iowa State. It's two road games. West Virginia gets a road game at Kansas and gets Texas at home. I like they probably don't. I just, there's a, there's a real scenario here where Texas is the only one. Like, and there's also the real scenario where you end up with a whole bunch of five win teams because weird things happen. If I go do the math properly, I can actually get there where none of these teams actually make a bowl game. And we end up with five eligible teams and four teams with five wins. And it's weird. But I, I think I've seen three straight games of good defense from West Virginia. I've seen one good game from TCU. I need to see more from TCU before I'm going to buy into the resurgence and not assume it's just a one-game thing. I've seen enough from West Virginia the past three weeks. I know how bad their offense was against Oklahoma State. I've seen their good defense three weeks in a row. I will buy into West Virginia's chance to get two of the last three more than I will in TCU. I think we're, we're talking about all these teams fighting for the Liberty Bowl. I, I, I think 
honestly, and I know you kind of said to avoid this, Phil, but the bigger storyline in the Big 12 could be this gauntlet that Oklahoma actually has that I, I personally had not been thinking about until lately. Of they got they have Baylor, they have Oklahoma, and then they have Oklahoma State. And, and I, I don't want to put too much on that game. I know you said not to. There's a real chance Oklahoma State is playing on November 27th to keep Oklahoma out of the Big 12 title game. Like, re- really. Because I could, I could absolutely see Oklahoma dropping these next two games. And that would be, despite TCU's downfall, despite Gary Patterson getting fired, Baylor being a lot better than we thought, all these storylines, that could be one of the wildest endings to a Big 12 year um, while all these other teams are fighting to play in the – you know, in Memphis at the Liberty Bowl or whatever, Oklahoma could could miss Arlington, I think, conceivably. I mean, it is possible. I mean, it's it's, it's a conversation that I've seen done to death because obviously being in Iowa State group chats, there's a lot of discussion of what is every single possible way to the championship game. And I don't know. It's... It... <laughs> It's just tough to wrap my head around the possibility, not because of the actual realism and the actual teams involved, but because it feels like Oklahoma always just figures it out one way or the other. And so of all years where I've paid significant attention because there were plenty where I didn't because I grew up an Iowa State fan. But I mean, of like of recent years, this feels like the one where it's most possible for it to happen. Do I think it's going to? No. But it it could. I mean, it's it's more likely than I would say in like most recent years, but I still think that Oklahoma's there. The the switch to Caleb Williams and Oklahoma getting back the defensive backs that have been out for a good chunk of the season, which are a bunch of their starters coming out of an idle week. I just can't bet against them. At this point we can have this conversation. Is it, is, is there a, in this, in the multiverse, is there a, a world where Oklahoma loses two of their final three and misses Arlington? Absolutely. Okay, all sorts of things happen. Um, there's a one where Oklahoma and Texas don't go to the SEC. Um, but in this reality, uh, whatever you want to call it, Earth One or Earth Prime or whatever, I I'll believe it when I see it, and I I will pontificate upon it when it seems like something that could actually happen. And I need them to suffer that first loss before I'm ever going to even remotely entertain the idea of them losing twice. So, like, it's a fun conversation, but I I, I need some more meat on the bone than just that. Um, it does kind of tie in. People are going to answer some questions we got on Twitter. Um, to uh, Brian Metcalf, he asked us, who's officially eliminated from Jerry's world? Uh, I know I got clear for some teams, but I guess you can't write off other teams even though they lost this weekend. Here's the deal. Officially, I think technically everybody but Kansas is still kind of in play. You know, if if TCU wins out, like you can have all the crazy scenarios, right? Where, but in reality, again, I like to operate there. It's the safest place to do so. If you ask me, do I who do I think is still in contention? It's 
The only, it's easier to say the only team still in contention to me are Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State. I don't think anybody else is. Anybody who has three losses or more in conference play, I think, is done. Yes, there are crazy scenarios. Yes, wild things could happen. This is I know we keep doing the 2007 comparison. It's not really that wild and wacky. Um, it's it's fun. It's a weird and wacky season, but because you know Wake Forest was in the top ten in the first playoff rankings, which is wild. But like I think it's these four. I don't think anything just absolute. I'm still waiting for the chaos, and it probably will happen at least one weekend. But I think those four, your OU, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State are the, are the four teams remaining who still have realistic shots at the Big 12 title game in Arlington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Absolutely. And I, I think it's actually kind of been that way for a couple of weeks now. I just didn't want to go out on a limb and say it because <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to. I, I, it's not that I'm afraid of being old takes exposed, but I really don't want to just be like, well, I said that. And now I feel like I jinxed it. So we'll just. <laughs> okay. Um. Speaking of uh, of Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor, you guys, uh, uh, the holidays are coming. And so it's time to start checking some things off of your holiday to-do list. Number one on that list is Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, the home of the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. They've got Iowa State. They've got Baylor. They've got Oklahoma State. They've also have Texas, West Virginia, Texas Tech, uh, and future Big 12 schools, including Houston, uh, UCF, and not Cincinnati, BYU. I had to go through all four in my head. I don't know why. And they are some of the more than 100 schools they have available. Utah State, Creighton, uh, Texas A&M, if that tickles your fancy for some strange reason. I don't know why you listen to this podcast. Uh, Iowa, Washington, Bradley, Southern Miss, Georgetown, Northern Michigan, Delaware. Those Blue Hens stuff is just amazing. Guys, I, I they just launched some new Indiana things. There's, there's a There's a... Man, this stuff just good. They got stickers now, by the way, and I need that UC Irvine surfing anteater sticker for my Nalgene. Like, I need it bad. I need that sticker. It's I so will. Beautiful. I will add to my previous in- personal endorsement of when I got the doggers and my sweatshirt and T-shirts that I'm like one, and they're all long enough for me. My brother and I went in on some T-shirts for my dad back for his birthday in September, and um father of the podcast is six five and they Ooh. fit him and he loves them if you're short you can hem your shirt okay you can hem your shirt but if you're tall that's pretty big time so if you have some tall folks in your family you've been trying to figure out just the thing to get them homefieldapparel.com use the promo code network 12 n-e-t-w-o-r-k-1-2 and get 15% off your first order. All orders of $100 or more get free shipping. And folks, the holidays are coming and it takes for everything for things to get here. Make your orders now. Start going and shopping. You're going to find something for every college sports fan on your list, including the tall ones, as Jamie just mentioned. They got sweaters and hoodies. It's cold. Burr, put on something warm for you to, uh, to hit up the games this fall and winter. So homefieldapparel.com, promo code network 12. 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel there is anywhere this holiday season. Your home for everything Kansas Jayhawks is the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Metz, and every week we run through the most important stories for all your favorite Kansas programs, whether it's football, soccer, or tennis, volleyball, or basketball. 
baseball and softball, or any other Jayhawk competition, we have it. We have game previews and recaps, interviews with coaches and others close to the team, and analysis from those who pay close attention to all of these programs. You can find us by searching for Rock Chalk Podcast on your favorite platform, so start listening today. All right. Uh, we've done a lousy job of keeping tabs of the future Big 12 schools. I really have. I've been trying to, and somehow this stuff always gets away from me. I am sorry, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU. This is not the best week to check in on all of you, but we're going to do it because I said we were, and uh, three weeks in a row I failed to do so. So we're going to do it today. Uh, like I said, not the best week in the world for those three schools. Cincinnati hangs on for a 28-20 win over Tulsa with game day in town. Uh just after everybody's complaining about their placement in the first college football playoff rankings, you, you think they might be a little bit, little bit more than just an eight-point win over Tulsa that was really, really, really stinking close. Uh, like, guys, style points matter. You're going to have to figure that out. Your strength of schedule is not doing you any favors. I want to see you in the playoff. The schedule the rest of the way isn't really going to help you. You're going to have to start putting up some style points. Cincinnati is going to have to start laying it on some of these teams because close wins over mediocre to bad teams in the American, it's just not going to help them. And they only have three games left, USF, SMU, and, and Eastern Carolina before likely facing Houston in the uh, American championship game. They kind of need to quit playing with their food and just just smash it. Just smash the last three as, as hard as you can. Yeah, I think November 20th, I mean, goodness, is so important for Cincinnati. If they can come out and just hand it to SMU, uh, that would be a huge, as really as good as a resume booster the rest of the way it gets for them. I have this weird feeling SMU is going to come out and win that game, which really upsets me. But I think the big storyline for Cincinnati yesterday was man, Max. Um, if Max Johnson, I, I think that's his name. Yeah, yeah, for LSU – completes a 30-yard pass and knocks off Bama. I mean, two lost Bama with the potential SEC championship loss to Georgia, that's huge for Cincinnati. And, and LSU is just not able to finish it. So um, that, that that was a big knock, I think, to their um, potential playoff resume yesterday, even though they got the win. SMU's lost two in a row. It's almost like their head coach is a little bit distracted by that contract extension he hasn't yeah. signed. Maybe another <laughs> job that he's going to be probably taking here in the – Next no month idea or what so, you're talking about. yeah. Uh, I I wonder how he'll, he'll how Sunny Dykes will look in purple. Um, <laughs> uh, if you watched UCF Tulane, uh, you must be a UCF or Tulane fan. The <laughs> game was fourteen to ten. Um, yeah, UCF won. I, I I would love to sit here and like yeah. UCF beat a bad Tulane team. 14 to 10 UCF is now full eligible. Um, I do think that, and I just lost the name of the new head coach who came over from Auburn, which is really Gus. I do think Gus is going to get UCF back to being really good. It's just that he's having to transition to his system. And I think it's going to, it's going to take a year, maybe two. By the time they get to the big 12, I think UCF will be back cooking the way we expect them to. Uh, Houston 54, South Florida 42. Speaking of playing with your food, the irony of Houston knocking off SMU last week with a 100-yard kickoff return to end that game. And then the start of this game, South Florida getting a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown to begin things was just hilarious. I don't know there was a sweet irony. South Florida actually had two, I think, 100-yard kickoff returns. 
Houston uh, put them away in the third quarter. Um, Houston was actually trailing at halftime. Outscored them 28-14 to 14 in the second half. Get the 12-point win. Move on. I do think you're looking at Houston versus Cincinnati in the American Conference Championship game. Houston needs or Cincinnati. If Cincinnati is going to get into the playoffs, Cincinnati needs Houston to keep winning. They need them to look better. Houston's at Temple, who has quit on their team. That that team has quit. Uh, then they get a mediocre Memphis squad, and then they go to UConn to end the season. Uh, they need Houston to just just pound these last three teams and look really good and get into the rankings and the playoff rankings, and so that Cincinnati can have stay undefeated and then have a ranked opponent in the conference championship game to try and give them one more marquee win on their schedule. So if you're Cincinnati, start winning by more and and rooting for Houston to stay, continue to win um, in the way that they, they at least maybe better than they did. The American is down this year, and that's the problem for Cincinnati, and I hate mm-hmm. it. I really do. Like, I want them in the playoffs so much, but it's just, it, it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, BYU beat an FCS school and then they're off this week and then they play Georgia Southern and then they can beat USC and get a 10 win season. Nice. So congrats on your win on an FCS school. You're already, you're, you're joining the pick 12, not the SEC. Put those earlier in the year. We don't, we don't do that in October, November stuff, man. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Good job for me. Um, look, speaking of uh, Christmas shopping, like I said, Holiday checklist, get things done. If if t-shirts and sweaters and hoodies aren't quite your jam, which I mean, unless you're running around naked, I don't I don't understand. And if if you don't like I want to wear scratchy wool. Cool man. You do you. That's awesome. Uh if you if that's you and you do love grilling and tailgating and that's more your thing, then you need to go to gridiron metal. That's the worst segue. God, I'm some days I'm on and some days I have to get up at 545 because my kids don't understand how daylight saving time works. Um, <laughs> metal home goods for the college super fan shop, grill grates and griddles officially licensed laser cut made in the USA. These things are freaking awesome. How would you like your grilled meats to literally have the Iowa State logo like seared into it or the Longhorn logo? You can put a Longhorn logo into your steak, Texas fans. I mean, you got to have something to get excited about. It's not the football team. Why not your grill? Why not your griddle? Okay. So go check out Gridiron Metal. They also have some fantastic home decor stuff, uh, metal coasters, planners, bookends, all with the actual school colors, not the, oh, it's kind of close like you find at other places. These people are fantastic. I love having them as a sponsor. Go check it out. Use the promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2. Get 15% off your first order. Free shipping across the board. There's no dollar match you have to spend. Like I've said, I'm buying the Razorback one for my father-in-law. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for it to get here. I <clears throat> I want the OSU griddle for Christmas. I'm not going to buy it for myself because I'm not supposed to because it's almost Christmas. You're not supposed to buy yourself things right before Christmas. <clears throat> um, so go to Gridiron Metal. Follow them on Twitter, by the way. They are my other like favorite like good brand with Homefield. You and so Homefield is in Indiana. Gridiron is Purdue. Those two teams will play on Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm going to start poking at both of them and being like, "So what are we going to do here? We need like a crossover." episode here you know like when all the chicago shows team up for like eight hour long weird thing on cbs or nbc or whatever networks on i don't watch them i just see the promos anyways i'm going off on a tangent gridiron metal promo code 1012 
T-E-N-1-2, 15% off your first order, free shipping on all orders. Go check it out and put something that the, the college football super fan, college sports super fan in your life will absolutely love to find under the tree this Christmas. Basketball season is finally here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages, going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference. You're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have, so go check out Midwest Madness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, okay, let's hit a couple of these Twitter questions before we talk some hoops, because we're talking a little bit of hoops here. Um, got to Brian Metcalf. Silites uh, asks, well, this is the Silites. Serious question, is Sark on the hot seat? I think we kind of touched on that. I don't think he really is. Uh, Reagan Steele hit us up in the DMs. How secure is Neil Brown's job? And if West Virginia loses to Kansas State, do you think he'll be fired at the end of the year? I'll let everybody hop in. No, I think he's fine. I think Neil Brown is secure. At, at West Virginia. Now, I don't look if he loses out and they end the season with four wins, there's it, the seat's going to be hot at the start of the next season. I think how this season ends is more going to decide how warm Neil Brown's seat is this, for, for 2022. But I don't think he's getting fired at the end of this year. I just, I don't. I, there's been some highs. Yeah, there's been some high highs and some kind of low lows. Like it, it, it hasn't been enough of one or the other to say for sure yes for sure no but I think this season it would just be a little bit premature but you kind of hit the nail on the head like going in the next year these last couple well I mean you know the the last couple games of the season definitely impact the attitude going into next year and they have the benefit of you know at Kansas State that absolutely should be competitive Texas I mean, at this point, that could be easily competitive too. And then you go to Kansas and you hope that you just stomp the crap out of them, feel really good to end the season and, you know, go play a bowl game. So, yeah, they, they have a, a really good class for next year right now. And I think just with, with you've gotten some time to develop Garrett Green a little bit. Next year will kind of be the telltale of is Neil Brown really where we should stay? And so I, I tend to agree. I don't really see, especially with how well loved he is by his players and uh, at West Virginia, it would really surprise me if, if he was gone at the end of this year. I feel like next year they'll, they'll need to get seven wins or so, or, or maybe eight or nine, I guess, um, for, for him to, for them to be, feel secure in him, but, but not this year. The, the only real concern I have with Neil Brown is he's the offensive guy. You have an offensive guy, and the offense has been the problem for West Virginia. Really, it's been at quarterback. Like, they have to figure out the quarterback situation. I think the defense will still be solid next year. They always have a solid defense. The offensive line has been improving. Didn't look good last Saturday. <laughs> um, I think the offensive line is improving. If they can bring those guys back, they're young. That'll only be better for next year. It's a good defensive line. Like, I think West Virginia has got the potential next year if they bring in a quarterback or if Green becomes awesome. Like, if I'm West Virginia fan, I'm Neil Brown, like, it's not how he operates, really? But go find a quarterback. Whether it's a transfer portal or whatever, if Green's not the answer, if Green's not the guy who can do it next year, then then go do something else because they've that's been their issue. 
If they could find a quarterback at West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Who said that? I, uh, I mean, I figure Rattler's probably going to end up back in Arizona, but he's probably going to be on the market. So there's lots of big 12 quarterbacks you'll be able to pull from, From is what we're saying. Go find a quarterback. If they could fix the quarterback, uh, West Virginia last year's contending for a big 12 title. West Virginia this year, like the defense has not been the problem. Not really. Like West Virginia this year with a good quarterback, this is a good team. And that's been the thing holding them back since he got there. If they can solve the quarterback issue, Neil Brown's going to have himself a season in West Virginia. I, I do believe that. So no, I don't think he's actually on the hot seat um, or definitely not going to get fired at the end of the next year. Um, Jamie, you were very excited about this one. Matt Claxton asks, uh, what cereal is Oklahoma State's defense right now? Jamie, do you have Oh, any? I don't have it. I just thought it was a really good question. I'm so sorry. Those dogs woke you up early. Did you have to get out of bed for the dogs? You had to play with them in their room and read books for two hours with the dogs? No. No, you could lay in bed. You can't answer a cereal course? Oh. It's a breakfast cereal commercial. Okay, there's an old reference. No one will get. How about how about uh, booberry? Because it's scary. Is that better? <laughs> it was an answer. Um, Colin, how do you follow that up? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. I, I my first thought was something like raisin bran. You know, just really classic no one really wants to deal with it It, it, it's not going to be fun to mess with i was trying to like at this point with osu's defense like you can just expect it to be really good every time and so personally for me that's just honey nut cheerios i've never poured a bad bowl of honey nut cheerios like it's always like you may get like you know i've had this too much lately but it's never not good it is staple it is good it's heart healthy my kids love it Honey Nut Cheerios. That's my that's my pick. You can't have a bad bowl of honey. You don't like Honey Nut Cheerios? Like, psh, get out of here. That's a that's a great cereal. It's a fantastic cereal. Okay, I'm glad that I have both of you here. And Colin, part of the reason I grabbed you before. Oh, Colin's got to bounce, so uh, we're gonna let him go. Colin, man. Yeah. What I let, let me get in like one yeah. question about hoops. I do want to say a few Hit things. Uh, well, about TCU specifically. That's okay. I, I think what we'll see from TCU this year is that they're going to be like the um, kind of almost like what TCU did to Baylor yesterday, just the like season killers of the big 12, especially once you get late, I think they'll stay in the seven or eight spot for most of the year and probably finish there, maybe even as low as eight or nine, but this TCU basketball team is going to be way more fluid, a lot more chemistry. They missed a hundred practices last year because of so um because of distancing and, and and kind of covid protocols contact type things so they've got a, a guy who i believe will be first team all big 12 and mike miles um a really awesome transfer from memphis and um damian ball and then from a&m and emmanuel miller as well as micah Peavy from tech just a team that loves playing basketball everything i've heard from within the program is these guys love to play not only with each other, but just the game. And that was not something that was present last year. And we kind of saw that all crumble in Kansas City when they play Kansas State. So I don't think the CCU team is going to be super dangerous, but I think late in season, you could see some teams that are fighting for positions in the Big 12, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, 
um, you know, even even a, a West Virginia or a Tech that TCU could steal wins from and really hurt their uh, hurt their standings. And so uh, I think it'll be a, basketball will be a lot more fun and in Fort Worth, even if it's not too much better. Very cool. Colin, man, always appreciate you joining the show. Do me a favor, plug your Twitter and the podcast, man. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys can find me on Twitter at Colin P3 uh, with one L or Colin P underscore three, sorry. And then, uh, yeah, once a week, Melissa Trewasser from Frogs of War and I are here with 1012 Network um, focusing on TCU sports with the Funky Frog Pod. We'll have that actually posted tomorrow or or a Monday morning, depending on when you guys hear this. So yeah, super excited for that. It's been a great year despite the struggles we've seen on the football field and we're having a lot of fun with that. So appreciate it, Philip. Always, always great to be on the pod. Thanks, Colin. Appreciate you joining us uh, last minute, man. Do go check out the Funky Frog Pod, whether you're a TCU fan or not. I have a feeling it's going to be the most um, positive and optimistic show we've had of the season, especially as of late after after their big win over Baylor. So, Colin, uh, feel free to bounce. I know you got some things to do. Thanks again for joining us, man. I really appreciate you sticking around and, and helping us uh, recap the weekend that was. Uh, Jamie, the Big 12 basketball season gets underway this week. First games are on Tuesday. Before we dive in, and when I say dive in, we're going to briefly because we've got a couple of things to get to. Um, if you're a big bag, Big 12 basketball fan, make sure you are subscribed to the Midwest Madness podcast. Christine Butterfield does an amazing job with that show. She's had team previews um, for a few of the different teams. She's also had some fantastic guests to kick things on. Head coaches for the Kansas State women's team, the Baylor women's team. Porter Moser has been on the show, Oklahoma's new basketball coach. So go and subscribe to the Midwest Madness podcast. Go check out the episodes that have already come out. Those are basically evergreen. You can go check them out. They're still relevant, especially right before the season starts or right as the season is starting. We'll be tweeting those out like crazy uh, Monday and Tuesday from the 1012 Network Twitter account. So go check out Midwest Madness. Make sure you're subscribed. You don't miss any episodes. All right, Jamie, uh, women's side, because that is your area of expertise, JSJ. Let's do this real quick. Who's winning the Big 12 this year? Who do we keep an eye on? And kind of what are your expectations for the conference? Well, it's it's an interesting year because obviously Baylor has held that top spot pretty consistently. Um, and so with Kim Mulkey leaving with a lot of changes coming to that team, um, she had some of her players follow her to LSU, some transferred to other schools, um, just a really major shift there. Obviously, um, it's, it's always going to be a good spot. Um, but I think this is, I said this last year actually as well, and it ended up being fairly accurate. Baylor did end up winning the big 12 last year, but I felt like the big 12 was really wide open. And I feel the same this year. You've got Baylor predicted to win. And then state and Texas are tied for a second. I think all three of those have a really, really good shot. I think Texas has some really good pieces and just not having seen how Baylor's going to play under a new coach with a lot of new players. Um, and I on principle can't predict my own team. until we're a little bit further into the season because I can't let myself do that. So I would say that Texas has a, a very legitimate shot. They have some extremely talented players. They play a really, really physical style. Um, that is sometimes tough for teams to deal with. Um, and I'll be really interested to see 
how they develop because they definitely underperformed a little bit during the season last year and then made a run in the NCAA tournament. So I think if they can build off of that, they've got a lot of potential there for sure. But it'll be, I mean, there's, there's, frankly, there's four contenders for the top of the conference because I think West Virginia isn't that far behind either. So it'll be very interesting to see how that so goes. Baylor, Iowa State, Texas, and West Virginia are your kind of contender teams this season yeah. in the women's There's side. There's kind of tiers yeah. there, yeah, where there's those four. Sure. And then Oklahoma is really, really solidly in the middle of the conference. And then the lower half is a little bit separated from the others too. But someone always jumps up too. So you could have like a Tech or K-State or an Oklahoma State kind of jump up there easily. Um, but just with what we know about them right now, I can't really predict that occurring. Very good. Uh, men's games start on Tuesday. Uh, seven teams in action. Texas playing Houston Baptist. Iowa State with Kennesaw State. Texas Tech with North Florida. OU with Northwestern State. West Virginia, Oakland, Kansas, and Michigan State. Hello. And Oklahoma State, UT Arlington. Um, look, on the men's side, I think look, it does feel like Kansas is the right team to pick here. Texas is going to have an ungodly good non-conference record because Chris Beard is really good at one thing, and it's scheduling really, really, really easy non-conference schedule. Look, Chris Beard is an amazing coach. That's not knocking his coaching ability. The dude does not want to challenge himself in non-conference. He didn't at Texas Tech, and he's not doing it at Texas. And, yes, I'm going to take that slam and dunk it right now because it's – go look at Texas' non-conference schedule. Like, well, they got Gonzaga. Like, good, one game. And Tennessee is not up to them. It's it's picked for them. They don't get to choose that. So whoop de freaking do. Uh I do think Texas is gonna contend. I think they're gonna be really good this year. Uh Baylor is gonna be really good as well. Like I am I think we're gonna have another season where we've it's not like last year where it was Baylor. Like we thought it was Baylor, maybe it's can't no, it was Baylor. It was all Baylor. I think we have some different teams who have some legitimate opportunity kind of like the women's side, to get it done this year. Um, I think Kansas won. I think Texas has so much talent, and this is the first time in a while that they've had the talent, and I don't question the coaching that's going along with it. Uh, Baylor, again, coming off of a national championship, it's not the same team, but they didn't lose that much. This is going to be a really good Baylor team. After that, um, I'll be curious to see how Oklahoma State looks with no postseason hopes. it's a talented roster. There was a lot of expectations for them coming in. It, it felt like a team that's going to probably make the tournament. Not now. Uh, what does te- Texas Tech look like in Mark Andrews' first season? Um, they've got a lot of talent there. I'm very intrigued to see what Texas Tech looks like. What is West Virginia? Like, I think there's a three-team tier at the top, and then there's a three-team tier of West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. And then there's question marks I have about um, Oklahoma with Porter Moser taking over. Um, TCU, what can they do? I think Iowa State's probably going to be at the bottom. It's year one for Otzelberger, so that's not too shocking. And then can Bruce Weber save his job and get Kansas State to the postseason, or is he going to be out at the end of the year? Because I think think this is a a make or break year for for Weber for K-State. So I am pumped. I love basketball season. It's super exciting. It gets started Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe to the Midwest Madness. We will talk more basketball on upcoming episodes, but there's just – it's the most wonderful time of the year when there's NFL and NBA and in college football and college basketball and Premier League. It's just everything is going on. It's just like oh, sports nirvana. Sports 
Nirvana. All right, let's wrap up on this as we always do. <laughs> Five games, all 10 teams in action this Saturday. Uh, we've got TCU traveling to Oklahoma State for a night game in Stillwater. It's going to be a blackout. They're unveiling the, the Barry Sanders name will be added to the Ring of Honor. His statue's getting added out front. Very cool. Uh, Oklahoma traveling to Baylor for the uh, Fox Big Noon kickoff at 11 a.m. in Waco. Um, mm-hmm. in West Virginia traveling to Kansas State. Uh, Iowa State at Texas Tech. And Kansas at Texas. Jamie, which game are you most looking forward to on Saturday? Um, I was torn between Oklahoma Baylor and TCU Oklahoma State, but I think I've got to go with Oklahoma Baylor just because got to see how Baylor reacts to what they dealt with this weekend, see if they can bounce back. Um, Oklahoma obviously going to be probably looking pretty strong coming off a of bye week. You know, you made some really good points about them earlier, but I do still think that Baylor has the opportunity to compete there. Um, it's just about whether they actually execute. Uh, I'm not supposed to pick TCU Oklahoma State, so I won't. So I will do what I like to do, which is pick a game <laughs> with a lot of lot on the line for both teams, and that that's Kansas State West Virginia to me. Like the the problem is like Kansas State and Iowa. You could you could argue Texas Tech Iowa State because Texas Tech is at home. They need that sixth win to get to bowl eligibility. Iowa State's got their six wins. They're still contending. Honestly, I think it's that one. I said West Virginia Kansas State because I really like. The whole West Virginia trying to get their last two wins they need to get to a bowl game I think is important. But I think Iowa State-Texas Tech. Iowa State, mathematically, as we mentioned, the four teams still contending for the Big 12 title game. I think Iowa State still has a lot to play for. Mm -hmm. They're still trying to – look, Iowa State's got like, what did we say, like five nine-win seasons. They've never won ten games before ever. That's still a possibility. Now, they have to win out and win their bowl game. But I would say could still win 10 games this year. That's never been done before. They can win nine games, have another nine-win season, which is still a rarity for Iowa State. So, And they're still contending for a Big 12 title game berth. They have a lot to play for. For Texas Tech, the three games, the start of the three-game stretch, they're coming off of an idle week. They're at home. They're hosting Iowa State. They've got to find a sixth win. It would be good for them if they could just get it now and not have to worry about it over the last two games. But I, I, So I, I am I'm very intrigued by this game at 2.30. Um, it's, it's the only two thirty game for the big 12. You get two morning games with OU Baylor and West Virginia, Kansas state. You get Kansas at Texas is at six 30 TCU at Oklahoma state's at seven. So it's your only afternoon game. It makes it easy one to throw on and watch. I know you'll be watching. I'm, I am intrigued by this game is how does Texas tech look after a week off with Sunny company taking over for the rest of the season. So very cool. All right, Jamie, everybody go follow Jamie on Twitter at J S T E Y Z. JSJ herself. Uh, if you're an Iowa State fan, you'll be hearing her when you uh, listen to Iowa State games because Jamie is awesome. We're pumped. Women's pumped. basketball, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't. Do, I, you know, if it doesn't matter, they should just listen to both. Well, of I mean, them absolutely, they should. But I don't want them to tune into men's basketball and think that I, I've, uh, I've made a jump there. So you can hear me yelling in the background, maybe at men's games. Probably, probably. Uh, so follow Jamie. Follow Andy as usual at AndyMitz12. Uh, follow us at 1012Network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Follow us on Instagram at 1012Pod. Do us a favor. Leave us a review, especially on iTunes. That's where it helps the most. Uh, if doing so helps us get the, the show out. If iTunes is bothering you as much as it bothers me because it never seems to work properly, might I suggest Good Pods? I've really enjoyed using that app. 
I'm not sure how well it actually tracks to our show numbers, so it's probably not a great idea for me to be promoting something like that until I know what actually benefits us. But man, iTunes does not load their podcast stuff for me properly ever. So if you're looking for an alternative, that's what I would suggest. All right. Appreciate it, guys. We'll be back on Thursday to make picks with Chris and Daniel, and we will talk to you guys then. Podcast Network.